So I have a, I have a little tiny tree that I got probably about three or four years ago. It was from the Arbor Foundation or whatever. And I tried a lot of their trees and most of them died. Uh, it's just what happened. But this, there was this little uh, conifer tree. It was just a poor thing, you know, a bare root little tree. And uh, I got it in, uh, for whatever reason, there was a mix-up in the order and they sent it to me in the fall of the year here. Well, it was going to turn cold soon and I, I didn't, I didn't want to do anything with it so I I healed it in as they say in a pot in the greenhouse and it was it's only it was only about that tall just like a piece of grass really and um and it and it made it somehow I would go in there ever so often through the winter and give it some water and that kind of thing and so I planted it and it's about about this tall but it's alive Okay, and it's it, it's my it's my favorite little tree because it's it's a it's really a realistic view of of something that's fighting to live because that's it's in its nature to do so. Okay, and uh, and so I really take great care of that little tiny tree that I have, and, and you know one day when I'm gone, my grandson will be able to enjoy that tree maybe, but but it's it's a little tiny thing, and so the reason I share that is because. Where we're going to be in First John today is talking really about the evidences of regeneration or the evidences of the new birth in someone's life. Do they know Christ or don't they know Christ? It reminds me of a set of passages when I was thinking about that tree out of, uh, and you don't have to turn there, but in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, when we possess the life of Jesus, it says we have this treasure. And, and knowing Jesus is a treasure. It is the greatest treasure. It says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So i got to tell you, I don't know how that little tree lives. But it does. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That little tree is planted on the west side of my house and I live out in the country and there is nothing between us and anyone else for a mile. So the wind just blasts and it's cold when it's actually winter. Okay, it, just, it just hits and where that little tree is, it just gets hit. And so if there's snow or ice, it just... And then the heat sometimes coming off those fields is just hot. And that little sucker lives. And uh, I really want it to live. But, but I, I use it as an example that like that tree, we are, we are getting hit with a lot of prevailing winds. The coldness of sin in our culture. The heat of, of an ever-increasing hostile uh, outview uh, out or, or outlook of us. Okay, There's always something mashing in on us. And it's not even as bad as it could get. 
But we live because it's in our nature as being born of God to do so. So I want us to, to take a look at 1 John chapter 3 this morning. Verses 4 through 9. Now last week we, we actually talked about verse 4 and 5. But I want to go ahead and pull it back into the, to the pericope that it is in so that nothing's plucked out. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. And we addressed that last week. And sin is lawlessness. And by the way, I would say this. Sin is always lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. But we have Jesus to save us from our sin, and also, not only that, to compel us and empower us to live lives that are distinctly different from the world that doesn't know Christ. And I'll get, this is truly a fascinating as we get down into development of these, mess, of these verses. Now look at verse 6. Whoever abides in Him, which means to continue or to remain, whoever abides in Christ does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Twice here, so far, we have this notion that if you're born of God, you don't sin. Now, I have to say that when I was a brand new Christian and I finally got connected with the Bible because I wasn't saved and then discipled like many of you were, I, I, well, the Lord did it, but, you know, it was rough. (laughs) And, uh, but when I finally started reading the Bible, I ran across this passage of Scripture and I thought, oh, no, because I still sin. And it said that if, that if I really abide in Christ, then I won't sin. That must mean that I don't. And I was really confused by that for the longest time. Now, I read that in the Bible, and it concerned me. At the time, I did not have a pastor to go ask about it. I didn't really have anyone to ask about it. I really didn't know how to ask about it. So I had an issue with eternal uh, security in that sense because I thought, well, I, must, I was saved, but now I guess I'm not because I still sin. But even in not knowing, now, now like I know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit took, took over and reassured my heart. Now, I, I wasn't altogether sure how I knew that I didn't understand this right because I read it and it, it read just like it reads, right? But I knew that somehow I must be missing something. Well, how is that that I knew that? Because the Lord is good and He was even instructing me then. Now I've learned the greater part about it. So if you're here today and you read these passages of Scripture and you think, oh no, (laughs) I still sin. I must not be born of God. Well, just let's let's take a moment and let's uh, undo these passages so we can actually see what he's saying. So I want to talk about really, if you could put a title of this today, it would be the evidence or evidences of regeneration. And just so we can 
kind of look into from what we did last week. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Okay? So, do we abide in Christ? And you think to yourself, oh, I don't know because I still sin. I must not. Not so fast. Let's recap. Whoever commits sin, as it says up in verse 4, is talking about a person that is behaving in a certain manner or to show a certain behavior and attribute. They conduct themselves in a manner of sin. That's what they do. They are committed to a sinful lifestyle. And they do so without any, they're not bothered by it as in I'm displeasing to God. They may be a little annoyed that it's causing discomfort in their lives. I don't understand why I can't just go live like the devil and everybody be okay with it. I mean, they may be annoyed with that. They may be annoyed with the fact that, you know, drinking costs a lot of money. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know, I have more money. But, but the concept, or, you know, whatever it could be. But they, they can't grasp that this is between me and God because that's, that's not there. If you're committed to lawlessness, that's how that person is. Lawlessness is the state of being or behaving in open defiance to the law. You're, you're a, against that. So you take a person who perhaps they struggle with, uh, uh, let's just say pride. Oh, that's a big one, right? They're committed to whatever they need to do to promote themselves. Now, that bugs them that no one else wants to promote them either. All right? That bothered. But they haven't a concept that that's an offense to God. That part doesn't get them. They may be bugged by the fact that they're, they're losing friends like flies that are dropping in the cold. I mean, that may bother them. It may bother them. They got in a fight last week with somebody. But to offend the heart of God does not register to them so it says whoever commits sin commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness because their refusal to admit their sin is the problem sin is the source of these things sin is lawlessness against the express commands of god and and i like what i wrote you know what we read last week millard erickson the systematic theologian sin is any evil action or evil motive that is in opposition to God. So you have to ask yourself, well, if you go on down, it says if you abide in him and you still, you know, and you sin, what do you do? Well, are you in opposition to God? That's a question you need to ask. So I sin daily. I hate that. Okay. But I can assure you, while the Bible says we stumble in many things, there's a great bit of difference between stumbling and being so actively committed to rebellion that I am literally opposed to God. Think about what that means. I'm opposed to you. I'm a, and I, I, can't, I can't fathom that. So simply stated, sin is failure to let God be God and placing something or someone in God's rightful place of supremacy. We always call it idolatry, and it can take the shape of many things. But when you do that, you're opposed to God. Now, take stumbling, for example. Um, I always, everyone here can relate to Blue Lakes traffic or Twin Falls traffic in general now. It's just simply not 
limited to Blue Lakes anymore. Okay, and uh, it's hard to turn left many times from certain places. And you think, will it ever end? Because it's like a steady stream from the west. And we don't know why. How does it happen? And you, someone should do a doctoral work on that. But, you know, you, you get frustrated and you're running late because there's no reason it should take 10 minutes to get out. Right? And so maybe in your mind you begin to think that you have a ginormous sledgehammer and you're donkey konging all of them. Okay? And, and you're thinking harsh things. And so you sin. Right? You're not in opposition to God. You're, you're, you're manifesting humanity. And then, of course, with the last card that you smash in your head, or maybe that stern look as they go by as if it's their fault, okay, God checks you and you're like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, Lord, forgive me for being so mad, <laughs> okay? And so, but you're not in opposition to God. That's different, right? And then you get home at the end of the day and you're like, gee, it was just traffic. Right, Lord, I don't know. You hate that. It bothers you. Like it really bothers you that you're upset at traffic. But the other person who's opposed to God, they just literally hate. Or they just literally dislike with impunity. They really do think that the people on that road should know they're trying to pull out. And it's their road. They really would like to beat them in the head with a brick. Okay? They really... And and we hear about things like that happening. Road rage incidents and all those. So when you're opposed to God, it's vastly different than stumbling. Okay? Everyone has always discovered the bedpost at night with the barefoot. Everyone knows. And sometimes you may be like, and out comes something that is not productive. You know, and you think, oh, no. I just sinned with my mouth. God help me. How can I go to bed now? So you got to go pray a little while. But if you're opposed to God, you curse the bed. And you say you shouldn't be there. Because it's illogical. You're, you're not connect. You, you know when you offend God. Because if you've been redeemed of God, you have the life of God saying, that's wrong. He tells you that. If you don't know God, you don't care. Okay. Ian Murray, one of my favorite writers, uh, his church historian, in a book called Evangelical Holiness, he writes, what is the means that God commonly uses to show the truth of the gospel message. So I just discussed to you the difference between those who know Christ in sin and those who don't know Christ in sin. It is surely the evidence of changed lives. That's the greatest evidence that the gospel is real. There is an argument which the world cannot answer. When the selfish become caring... The proud, humble, the immoral, pure. It is spiritual men and women that make the gospel visible in the world. Christians are people very different from what they were and very different from the society in which they live. They shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Authentic holiness draws attention to God. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, you say, okay, but it's just talking about people who are, when the, when the selfish become caring and the proud humble and the immoral pure. You, what if you are in traffic and you do lose your cool and you're immediately convicted? You're not showing that, but what you are showing and demonstrating is a God consciousness of the reality and supremacy of the rule of Christ in your soul, in which case you repent. And in which case, if you've offended anyone, you go back and you say, I am sorry. I... That's different. People don't do that. And so you go back and you make amends for that as best you can. You're compelled to do that because you know that you're going to be high-centered until you do in your walk with God. If you don't know Christ, you don't want to do that. It was just their fault for being at the wrong place at the wrong time, oh well. And that's not how Christians think or live. It reminds me of something else that uh, Ian wrote. <clears throat> I want to read to you. We live at a time... And in a country where there is massive indifference to Christianity, unbelief is arrogant. In many parts of the land, church buildings are disused. Now, he's writing from uh, Britain there in in England over there. So, in many parts of the land, church buildings are disused and sold, perhaps to be turned into theaters or public houses. It might therefore be argued that the priorities for Christians today should be reaching the world outside or defending the truth of the Christian faith. Both are certainly necessary, but the old Keswick priority remains the right one. When Christianity is weak, now listen to this, the fault generally lies not in the world, but in the church herself. Okay? You can never blame the world for the inadequacies of the church. Let the spiritual health of the church be what it ought to be, and there will be no question of her declining or of her declining impact on the world. Study to show yourself approved unto God is the biblical mandate. It is sanctified men and women who are described as being useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And so speaking on this point, an old writer has said, the design of Christianity is to change men's lives. And if it does not prove its divinity by its efficacy, let it be condemned as an imposter. So in other words, any message claiming to be the gospel of Christ that does not ultimately end in men and women's lives being changed for Christ is not a true gospel. Okay? If it does not... So this this was one of its most operative convincing proofs at the beginning and certainly is its greatest abiding proof. Take one of endless examples. There was in, uh, he, he writes about a place in Scotland, a medical doctor named Robert Calley. His upbringing had been one of nominal Christianity. Before his studies at the University of Glasgow led him first to question the reliability of the Bible and then to become an open unbeliever. Once settled in his medical practice, he gave his leisure hours to socializing and soon gained the nickname, the Dancing Doctor of Kilmarock. That was his, what he was known as. Among his patients were Christians. One of them was a woman dying from cancer. Other of his patients were also Christians, and he pitied them for their lack of education. 
But on his visits to this woman, he saw something which he could not explain. He would find her possessed of a peace stronger than her painful condition. She did not miss seeing his surprise and pointing to what lay beside her bed told him, and this is classic, read the book. It's all in the book. That witness, that witness led Callie to become a new man and in due course, a pioneer missionary to Brazil. So, we have what First John is writing here is evidences of what it is to be alive in Christ. It doesn't mean that we Christians don't struggle or suffer. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle. What it means is, is there's something in us that is alive. And it's, and it's not of us, right? And it's growing towards Christ. Now, my little tree, don't forget this is part of the message. Itty bitty tree, little piece of grass that I just couldn't bring myself to cast it away. So I planted it best I could, and I nurtured it best I could. And then when it was ready, I put it outside, <laughs> and I thought, well, it'll be it. But it's it's alive because it's 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 in it. It's, it's in its nature to live. Abiding in Christ is the solution against sin and it's how we know that we are in Christ because we abide. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Abide means, as we talked about, to remain or to stay. And what it has the idea of is you keep on doing so. Now there's a difference. There's a lot of imposters today. There's a lot of unexplainables, I don't know how that happens kind of thing. But... Knowing Jesus is definitely that which has been born of God inside you and you keep abiding. Doesn't mean that you're always perking. I mean, sometimes the, the water in the pot's a little, a little cool. But God mashes the button and boiling it does. Because there's something outside of you that keeps you in Christ. You, you can't look away. I mean... You cannot abide not abiding. And you, and you can tell the drift. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced the drift in your Christian walk. Well, you want to come back. It's not natural. You hate it. You don't like it. As opposed to the one who doesn't even care. There's no God consciousness. So, you may not be what you think you ought to be. But praise God, and I mean that literally if what you are draws you and compels you to be more of what he wants, because it means you're alive, like that little tiny tree. Whoever sins means, disliked in the word abide, and in the way the Greek is constructed, the one who keeps on sinning. You just, people who don't know Christ, they just keep on sinning. They don't care. And when, that's why when you talk to your family or friends about their need for Jesus, and they look at you, first they'll tolerate you, and then they'll get mad at you, and then they'll give you the look, and then you just really sense the hostility with which they can't stand you talking to them about their need for Christ. 
They like their sin, they nurture their sin, and they keep it really close because that's what they want. A Christian doesn't want any critter like that in his shirt. Okay? We want it away. Gosh, get it away. This person that abides in sin has neither seen Jesus nor known Him. It implies a person whose habit of life is to live in such a way as to deny the reality of Jesus, to deny actually knowing Him. So I've been thinking on that. And there was a season in my life, back when I was younger, and and seasons, where perhaps some sin did sneak in. And my distance from the Lord was, I would call it, rather great. And it seemed like it lasted a long time, but it didn't really when I got thinking about it, maybe a year or two. But even in the midst of it, every night I lay down, God was like a crushing weight upon my soul. And I was like, here I am. You know, and, but then... For whatever reason, I would carry on. But, but, man, when you're born again and you know Jesus and that seed of his remains in you, if you, pers- he, you he will run you down. And he did that to me in, in most spectacular ways. He always has done that to correct me. Why? Because the Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. It's a mark of God to be chastened of God. But the unregenerate, it's not so. They can lay down and sleep just fine other than maybe perhaps with the dreaded result of whatever they are into. But they don't care. There's no care. And something else, um, as a Christian, and I'm trying to explain as best I can, but even when you are into something you ought not be in, right? It's not like you wake up that day and say, I think I'll see how much I can sin today. I'm going to go headlong into disobedience today. My goal is full disobedience. No, you don't even do... You may not be walking with the Lord like you ought to be, but you still don't have that as a goal. You don't want to do that. Now, you might find yourself, you know, and, but God is holding you still, and you, He will bring you back. But if you're not saved, you don't care. Whatever. You don't know Christ. What do you care? So, it's, it's something to think about. So, from this... It follows that the regenerate life is, in one sense, an essentially and fundamentally sinless life. Now, let me explain this. For the believer, sin is abnormal and unnatural. His whole bent of life is away from sin. So, this is from Wolverd and Zuck. This is a Dallas Theological Seminary. But, for one that has a regenerate life, and he writes, in one sense, an essentially a fundamentally sinless life, God calls us to a sinless life. But when we sin as Christians, it's so abnormal, that's why we hate it so much. That's why we despise it so much. Even for a season, even in the midst of the season, it's like chewing on a bad piece of meat. 
You ever had to do that because you're somebody's house and they can't cook? Okay? And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you choke it down. You know, you know that something ain't not right about that. But you eat it anyway. And then you get outside and you're like, you know, you can't because you want to be nice. Don't worry that I have not had that experience with any of you. <laughs> okay, so he's talking about, no, I'm not, I promise. But as a Christian, when you sin willfully, you don't like it. You're at war within yourself. You can't take it. And what's so bad is, Maybe you, and you go home and you repent because you can't help it. God is like, raw, and he sets on you and his great love causes you to repent. You're like, I just want to be right with you yourself and I don't ever do that again. And then you do it again. And you, and you do it again and you're like, no! And you do it And so you have that happening in your life. And it may seem comical the way I'm ex- explaining it, but it's real. As you grow in your walk with the Lord and as you mature and you develop, you become stronger against those things, right? But at the time, you feel so, so just bad. But if you don't know Christ, you don't. You see, you just want to go more. You want to do more. And the thought of God is not there. It's more of the thought of what others may think, not what God thinks, okay? Psalm 101, verses 2 through 4, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? That's how you kind of pray whenever you're just, I did it again. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I'm going to try. That's your heart cry as a Christian. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes, and you work hard on that. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. That is the heart of the, of the child of God that has been born again. Now, you may just be like my little tiny tree. And I look at it and I'm thinking, you poor thing. How do you live? But it's in its nature to live. And it is so in the Christian's life. If you've been regenerated. Now, you may not be a big fancy tree. But you're alive. You, you have a God consciousness. You, you do want the things of God. Now, you may be smacked down by all kinds of stuff within yourself. But God is constantly there. Praise God for that, you guys. Be encouraged. Don't be satisfied. But Because it's, it's living things grow. It's not... God's will for you to be a stunted saint. That little tree should grow. He's slow, but he's growing. My little grandson is tiny right now, but he's alive. And he's he's growing. And one day he'll be big. Because that's the way life works. Right? Okay. Verse 7 of our text says, Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. There are so many false teachers in churches today. On TV, 
being live-streamed with big names. Don't let them deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now you say, well, I've seen some pretty bad people do some pretty good things. Well, there's a difference between doing good things and doing righteous things. Righteous works, if they're truly righteous, will always drip with the gospel of Christ. Always. Good works will always drip with the human involved. Look what I did for you. (laughs) But when you go and you serve or you do righteousness, it's because God Almighty is putting it into you to do. And what's funny is, (laughs) you may not be all excited about it. could be hard for you to do. But you're there out of obedience and you love Jesus And he's just, he's enjoying growing you closer to himself by by allowing you to serve him in something you never thought. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. I have a hard time, uh, and I got to be careful here, but I get really suspicious of people who promote themselves too hard. Especially Christian ones. I, I just think that it's real. I, th- I think the Lord ought to promote you. If there's a promotion needing to be done, better to have God do it than you. So don't build a website with your name in it saying how good a servant of God you are. I think news travels fast. And I, and I think people will often share what the blessing is they've gotten from somebody. I just think it's, you got to be really, I, I read the back of books sometimes and oftentimes I'll determine if whether I'm going to read that Christian work based on what the other side says. Who's endorsing and what are they saying? Because if they're pumping the guy up, I don't read the book. I just don't. And if he needs that, that's a problem for me. There is no ambiguity between the life of one who knows Christ and the one who does not. It's easy to see. When sin is the central draw of the person, you can be assured that Jesus has not truly cleansed that life. Do you get that? When sin is the central draw, this is why I get out of bed in the day, Jesus has not cleansed that life. And likewise, when Jesus has cleansed that life, it's just as distinct the other way. (laughs) I remember as a young Christian, so I saved at 12, and I remember, you know, not discipled, somewhere around 13, 14, I had friends at the school, and, and they weren't good guys. As is most times when you're a young Christian person, you're not going to have tons of Christian friends because there's just not lots of young Christians, right? That's right. So you kind of go along, or else you're just kind of over there as a statue. But I remember them doing things, waiting after school for football practice to start, And they were vandalizing and just doing different things that they did. And I was was present. I didn't participate. It was like there was a force field. I couldn't, I kind of wanted to, but I didn't at the same time. I was torn. And they kept trying to get me to come because misery loves company. And I couldn't. I remember once they were busting bottles in the street, glass, 
And I thought, that is so wrong because somebody could come along and step on it, could give a flat to a tire, could be a toddler. Come, you never know. They were doing that, and I just thought, how bad and dumb. And they made fun of me, and, but I couldn't join in. I was present. You're thinking, well, why would you hang out with them anyway? Well, I don't know. I was a kid. But I couldn't join in with them. And, and even being present with them bothered me, but I didn't pull away. Until, some t- until God took me away from that situation, actually. I remember once I was driving the car. I, I used to drive without a driver's license because that's what you did in Oklahoma. And um, a 68 Mustang, but it had a six-cylinder. So whatever. It was a pretty cool little pony. And uh, so we drove to lunch. Small town, super small. They got a bag of marijuana. I didn't know that. Now, they all thought it was funny, and ha, 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 and when I found out, now, you have to, I was from the farm, and if it's green, it probably is a bale of hay, okay, but I knew this was bad. I knew it inside, and all I wanted to do was get to school and get them out of my car, and I never, ever took them again, because it was wickedness. Now, I wasn't where I needed to be. But I was alive. You see, that's what I'm trying to get you to understand. There was a distinction. They knew it too. I was bad for them and they were bad for me. Okay, it was mutual. And this is the difference between being born of the flesh and being born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We all agree, right? Verse 8 and 9. He who sins is of the devil. (laughs) There. Get that? He who sins is of the devil. And what it means is, again, same Greek, same, Greek, same, same uh, construction. He who continually sins habitually is of the devil. It doesn't say if you commit an act of sin, you're of the devil. And then repent. It means those who live in sin. This is, my, this is what I'm about. Of the devil. And then he writes... For the devil has sinned from the beginning. So he's just being consistent. For this purpose. Yeah, he writes, John's writing. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, brought forth, revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay? And then he goes on to say, whoever has been born of God, his word is, does not sin. Not habitually, not consistently, not as if they had never met Jesus, not as a person who has no God con they they can't. So whoever's been born of God does not continue to sin continually, habitually. And here's why, and this is fascinating to me, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually, habitually, because he has been born of God. And John go, says it going and coming. I think it's almost close to tautology again. His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. His seed remains in him. We must be born of God to be alive in Christ is to be born of God. You say, how do I know if I'm truly saved? Because of everything I've just explained. Have you 
Do you agree with God that you're a sinner? You say, I sure do. Have you taken your sin to Jesus and cried out and said, save me from my sin. I give you my life. I'm a wreck. I sure have. Has he given you the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life by convicting you of sin and drawing him closer? He sure has. Then you're alive. Stop doubting it. But if you've done all those things as a matter of intellectual assent, if you will, and there's no change, and you don't care, in fact, this is bugging you right now, you got problems. You've you've likely never been born again. You just have been through what's called the, the exercise of a spiritual hiccup. And it happens a lot. In fact, uh, Brother Justin, as he was standing really tall in the baptistry over here, okay, and he said when he, when he uh, was uh, younger and uh, he was baptized, and, and then later he realized he didn't know Jesus at all, but he had went through religious exercise. But then later, there was a true conversion that happened. A true one. So, that's the difference that we have. You must be born of God. So, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. So, here's what we get into. The perfect participle, born of God, implies not only a single past act of spiritual new birth, and this is important, but also the ongoing effects of being born of God. In other words, you continue to grow in God. You don't always hit on all eight. Come on. But you will continue to grow in God. Because living things grow, right? It is the one who has been born of God and continues to abide in Christ who is a child of God. That's the one. You've been born and you continue to abide. No one who is born of God will continue to to sin, and what he's saying this is from uh, Daniel Aiken. Uh, you cannot continue to live a life of sin without consequence, without conviction of sin, and maintain a testimony that you know Jesus. That's just not. That's not true. First, and furthermore, I would I would say this: Is there anywhere in the battery of Scripture? Where we see where Jesus has touched a soul and them leave the same. They've all been changed. So we have in our day this this new hybrid weird thing that you can be a Christian as Savior but not have Him as Lord. You can know Christ in justification, but not in lordship, in kingship. You continue to sin and you say to someone, but I prayed the prayer. But there's no change and you're counted as a Christian. That is bogus. That is anti-Bible too. Here, here's why. And this is where this gets really fascinating. Okay, I was debating all week whether to share this with y'all. So we're all adults unless you're not. And so... I want to talk about verse 9 
here, okay? Because it says, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Everyone follow that? This is in verse 9. Second part of it. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And again, the context is cannot continue to habitually practice a lifestyle of sin. You just can't do it. You can't. Because of the word seed. And interestingly enough, the word is sperma in the Greek. Okay? From the intermediate Greek-English lexicon, it means of the germ, the origin, the element of anything. We all know what that is. It stands to reason. Well, as I was reading an article from a systematic theology uh, paper, it means this idea of sperma is that life-generating and growing power within the person and that keeps the person living a life free of continual sin. Let me break it down like this. If we take an apple seed, inside of it is all of the genetic information of what it is to be. It is planted, and then it regenerates. It's birthed, right? You got this little tiny shoot sticking up. And then if you let that thing go, it's inevitable. It's going to produce apples. It's just, that's what it's going to be, because that's in its nature. That's That's in its life, in its germ as a new Christian, as a born-again person, as a person who knows Christ, it is inevitable you will, you will bear fruit unto Jesus, fruits of the Spirit, because it's His nature in you. Now, back to the apple tree. I'm I'm not saying it won't have worms sometimes (laughs) because my apple tree has worms. They're called a coddling moth and they land and they bite it and they inject this thing and it grows out and the worm crawls out and it ruins everything. I hate them. But they're still apples every single year. Why? Why does my apple tree produce apples? Because it's in its nature, it can't help it, right? If you're born again, I'm sorry, you, you, may, you may be really ill and you may have lots of moths around your life but you're going to produce a tiny little bit of fruit. It's inevitable. If you're not born again, you have nothing. It's just corruption. You don't make apples. You don't make apples at all. You're like one of them uh, ornamental fruit trees, which is really wrong, okay? It's just for looks. Right? Jesus met one of those. Well, not really. It wasn't an ornamental, but it ended up being one. The fig tree that didn't. There are no figs on you. He cursed the tree and it died. That's a big story about someone who claims to know Christ and there's no fruit at all. There's no life of Christ in them. I think that's fascinating. That's why if you're in Jesus... You, you may be really hard. You may be going through rough times. 
but you're going to grow because His seed remains in you. Lastly, evidences of being born of God. I'm going to go through this fast. Number one, evidences of being born again of God. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. You believe that. You don't just go, yeah, I think historically it sounds good. You really believe that. You believe it. Like in your soul, it is who you are, you believe it. You have an attraction to righteous living. That means you don't drink, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls that do. Okay? Football coach, you say that all the time. I thought, and all I thought was, are there really girls that chew? Sure enough, on the bus one day, there was one that had red red man in her jaw, and I thought, oh my heck, you know. So, but you have an attraction to righteous living. You, you, you may not be doing so good yourself, but you want to. You want to please God. You want to. You struggle, but you want to. You have a cessation of habitual sinning. That means that you take great measures to, to try to stop that stuff. You, you drop those what they call frenemies, okay? You, you, you get rid of the, of the cable if that's a problem. You put on filters all over your computer. You, you just give, you do your level best to fight back. And if you're not fighting back against sin, I don't think his seed remains in you. That's what John is saying. See, but you have a, you want to get rid of that. And then you have overcoming faith. Again, it doesn't mean you're just, you're so strong. It's just, but you do believe God is going to do it. Now you're, you know, you may struggle with your flesh and your own doubt. How many of you struggle with doubt? Doubt's a big deal. But you still believe that God's going to do it. Okay. And you have a love of Christian brothers. You love, you love Christian people. Now, you may have been hurt by them, and, and you may gotta look sideways at some of them sometime, you know, and, and you may not even like some of them. But you have a love for God's church. You do, you do, you can't imagine the world being without it. And then lastly, and I love this one, you have a witness of the Spirit that in your doubts, and when you're wrestling with, am I saved? Am I not? I fail so many ways. And God is constantly there saying, you're mine. You're mine. My seed remains in you. Those are the evidences of the Christian life. And you grow. Ian Murray, lastly, writes this. And I want you to pay close attention. This is our last thing. True conversion involves a radical break with the principle of sin and self-interest. Yeah, you follow that? Which controls the natural man. To be born of the Spirit is to become spiritual. To possess a new nature which, which loves holiness and conformity to God. So whether it be one professed conversion or hundreds in what some would call revival, the test is the evidence of moral transformation. 
to claim as the work of the Holy Spirit anything that does not show itself first by purity of life is to undermine the real meaning of Christianity. I think it's pretty straightforward. You may be here today and you've been concerned if whether or not you're truly a Christian. I have done my level best to explain from the Scriptures that if you are in Jesus, there will be evidences of life. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not going to be. You can't be sinless in this life. You will stumble a lot, sometimes more than others. But there will be a, 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 a consistent trajectory of nose up towards the conformity of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you don't care, first of all, about any of this. Second, you don't even consider the God consciousness that you should have. You don't care. So, you may be a tiny little tree that's just barely hanging on but you're alive, praise God. Now, I would just encourage you, trust Him to grow you more. Just breathe. Drink. Feel the sunshine on your skin. Take in the nourishment of the Scripture. Pray. Talk to God. Get to know Him more. Because His seed remains in you. And it's inevitable. You will go towards Christ. I'm going to ask JT to come. What should we do now in light of that? As we do at the end of each service, it's an opportunity for every one of us to take stock and say, Lord, do I know You then? Am I bothered at my sin because of what others think? Or am I bothered because of what you think? And Lord, if I'm so unhealthy, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. If you don't know Jesus and you don't care, but God is beginning to touch your life to know Him, I would say to this, Receive, receive that seed and live and take his life for your life. Repent and believe the gospel. As JT plays, the altar is open if you need to come. I'll be standing here if you need to visit with me just for a few moments. Let's ask the Holy Spirit what to do with what we've learned.